number 79. Church history. The foundation of American theology, the foundation of Baptists in America, the foundation of Western civilization, and freedom of a democracy. We wouldn't have freedom and democracy, freedom of religion and democracy, or freedom of speech in America if it wasn't for the Baptists, even after the American Revolution. And they fought hard to secure it. The group of Baptist preachers took a, a punch bowl, they said, bled their arms into the punch bowl until they had it full of blood, and they dipped their swords and said, we will not sheath these swords until we have a religious freedom in this country. And even after that period of time, it wasn't. They, they, they did not want to ratify the Constitution of the United States until they had religious freedom and freedom of speech in it and freedom of the Second Amendment, the right to bear arms in case we have another tyranny for government. We're on page 345, chapter number 4, then there are chapters and subchapters, and we're talking about the, re the great revival in America, the great revival. At the close of the 18th century, the prospects of Christianity in the United States were most deplorable and unfavorable. All parties testified to the state of affairs. The Revolutionary War had brought about a great deal of license. And all classes of witnesses testified to the low state of morality and beliefs after that period of time. People were introduced into savage living. Savage living. When you are facing death every day for years, year after year, your whole idea of life changes. My father, James Monroe Phillips, Jr., went to World War II. He was with Patton under extremely treacherous, dangerous conditions. He lived through the war. He did not think he could be killed after that, believe it or not. He had lived through so many close scrapes in, in Africa, in Italy, in France, and Germany, that he thought that he was absolutely invincible. He came back home and was just absolutely, had post-traumatic stress disorder so bad he was never useful. He died in 1949, killed, robbing a liquor store in Long Beach, California, shot with a 45 model 1911. He died because he never was able to go back into society normal. This is what happens in war so many times. They used to call it combat fatigue, shell-shocked, all of that. Audie Murphy had it so bad that if he hadn't had the wonderful wife, Pamela Archer, that put up with his absolute mental illness, basically, post-traumatic stress disorder to the extreme, they bought a little house in Hollywood Hills, I believe it was, and she had a garage on that thing, and she uh, absolutely armor-plated the garage, so when he would start shooting in the middle of the night in these nightmares, he always had to have a gun with him that it wouldn't kill anybody else. Had his own shower, bathroom, refrigerator, and everything in that room. His first wife, Wanda Hendricks, divorced him because of mental cruelty. She was desperately in love with him. But she, he woke up shooting the lights out in the middle of the night. Every night this was going on, screaming, hollering, fighting all night long. He didn't sleep. 
He fought. He tried to sleep and he couldn't fight, sleep. She finally divorced him. But when he died, they had to drag her away from his casket. She loved him so dearly. But she couldn't live with him because of his mental illness, his post-traumatic stress disorder. Now that's what happened in America here after the Civil War, after the, the Revolutionary War. George Mason wrote in 1782 to Patrick Henry as follows, with some few exceptions that the clinching was generally throughout the states. The demoralizing efforts of the war left religion and church in such a deplorable condition. The war, though very propitious in the liberty of Baptists, had the opposite effect upon life and religion among them. Henry Lee said, Refiners may weave reason into as fine web as they please, but the experience of all time shows that religion to be the guardian of morals must be very inactive observer in our country who does not see the avarice in accomplishing the destruction of religion for want of legal obligation to contribute something to the support. In other words, they, people didn't think that without the church and state, the churches would exist and people could be morally sound. They were drunkards. They were immoral people. General declension of religion followed the early revivals. A low standard religion and morals prevailed. Family worship was neglected. Little attention was paid to the training of youth in the fear of God. The Indian Wars having terminated, an immense tide of immigration poured into the older settlements. The protracted wars of the Indians and exerting of demoralizing influence to a wide extent, but introduction and manufacture of alcoholic livers, liquors followed, and their use in almost every family was frighteningly, frightfully destructive. Brandy was steeled from the peach, wine fermented from the grape, and beer from the persimmon. As early as 1783, whiskey had been distilled from corn, and that was now in use daily as mint julep and as a grog or toddy. People were working out alcoholics, basically. Those who could afford it had Madeira wine and Jamaica rum on their tables, but the ordinary drink was whiskey. The Green River Country, as the southern part of Kentucky is called, became famous for, for this vicious practices. Universal capuity prevailed over the whole country, stimulated by the boundless opportunities for its gratification. Spectators were eager to invest their capital and lands, hoping to realize princely fortunes thereby. Many of the pioneers who had located lands lost all their possessions on account of imperfect titles. Land jobbing feuds, heart burnings, re retard the moral improvement of the country. Deistical opinions were really introduced into America during the French and Indian Wars of 1754 to 1763. This is very important. This is extremely important. The French immoral ideas and atheistic or deistic ideas. This really affected America greatly. In these wars, the American citizens were brought into close relations with English officers and soldiers who accepted deistical sentiments. Most of their American companions had never heard the divine origin of the scriptures or questioned. Then their minds were, of course, unprovided with answers even to the most common objects 
Where is the Bible? What is the Bible? Is the Bible anything? Many of them didn't even have a Bible. Most Baptists had family Bibles that they wrote down the, the marriage when the two uh, communicated between each other. They wanted to live together for the rest of their life. <coughs> the rest of their lives. I have to get my water. <laughs> Sorry about that interruption. I have to speak loud enough for these machines to pick up my voice and the congregation to hear me. <clears throat> District opinions, theistic opinions after the after the French and Americans collided. <clears throat> Most of the companions never heard of the divine origin of the scriptures or questioned. And their minds were, of course, unprovided with answers, even the most common objections. To such objections as were actually made as added to the force of the authority. The British officers were from the mother country, a phase of high import, until after the commencement of the revolution. They came from a country renowned for arts and arms and regarded by the people of England as the birthplace of science and wisdom. <clears throat> These gentlemen also at the same time possessed of engaging manners. They practiced all of these genial vices which, when recommended by such manners, generally fascinated young men of gay, ambitious minds and are often considered as conferring an inevitable distinction on those who adopt them. Many of the Americans were far from being dull proficients in this school. The vices they loved and soon found the principles necessary to quiet their consciences. When they returned home, they had drunk too deeply in the cup of their exchange of their new principles and practices of the sober doctrines of their, company, of their countrymen. The means that had been pursued to corrupt them, they now employed to corrupt others. From the prima malie labes, the canogen spread, not indeed through great multitudes, but in little circles surrounding the individuals originally infected. As these amounted to a considerable number and lived in general dispersion throughout the country, most parts of it shared in the malady. The alliance of America with the French likewise brought in a low state of morals, which menaced the nation with political destruction. <clears throat> a historian of Kentucky describes, Early in the spring of 1793, circumstances occurred which fanned the passions of the people into a perfect flame of dissatisfaction. The French Revolution had sounded a toscan, which reverberated throughout the whole civilized world. The worn-out despotism of Europe, after standing aghast for a moment in doubtful inactivity and awakened at length into ill-concerned combination against the young republic, the French was engaged in a life of death struggle against Spain, 
Britain, Prussia, Austria, and all German principalities. With her war, the United States had strictly nothing to do. The best interests of the country clearly required a rigid neutrality, which President Washington had not only suggested to see, but to firmness to enforce by a proclamation early in 1793 that the passions of the people, however, far outran all considerations of prudence and interest and displayed themselves in favor of France with a frantic enthusiasm which threatened perpetually to involve the whole country in a disastrous war with the rest of Europe. America didn't need that war. The terrible energy which the French Republic displayed against thus fearful odds, the haughty crest with which she confronted her enemies repelled them from her frontier on every port, presented a spectacular calculated to dazzle the friends of democracy throughout the world. The horrible atrocities which accompanied these brilliant efforts of courage were overlooked. The Tale of Two Cities, the history of that great bloodshed. In favor of passionate sympathy and attributed in part to the exaggerations of the British press. The American people loved France as her ally in the revolution and now regarded her as a sister republic contending for freedom and against banded bestness. French infidelity threatened to sweep away every trace of Christianity. Our country had innumerable difficulties with England which had resulted from the cruel Indian wars. France had been our friend in the War of Independence. The very name of liberty was dear to every American heart, and in the mystery of providence, infidelity and liberalism were combined against despotism. Infidelity became prevalent in high places and was identical in the public mind and liberal principles in the government. It was a general opinion among intelligent Christians toward the close of the century, a majority of the population were either avowedly infidels or skeptically inclined, and they were but few men in the profession of law and physics that would avow their belief in Christianity at all. If you're educated, you weren't a Christian. Amongst the less informed classes, the age of reason, now this is the deal, the age of reason. The age of reason is going to demoralize the world. It was the most popular book. Obtained extensively circulation while Bibles were obtained with difficulty and found a place only in religious families. Of Thomas Paine, much less, much has been written. Thomas Paine. <clears throat> we, doubt, well, we doubt whether any name in the revolutionary history, not accepting the Benedict Arnold, is quite so odious as that of the Thomas Paine. Arnold was a traitor. Paine was an infidel. Arnold was a traitor. Paine was an infidel. Since the day when the age of reason came forth from press, the number of infidels has increased much more rapidly than it did before the book was written. The truth is that he was one of the most remarkable men of his time. It, its baseness and nobleness and goodness and badness and greatness and littleness and so powerful a mind left unbalanced and led astray by the worst of animal passions. 
Of all the humankind, he is the filthiest and the nastiest, and his disgusting habits grew upon him with his years. And in his work, or in his old age, when the frugal gifts of two states which remembered his good work placed him beyond immediate want, he became a sight of, to behold. It was rare to see him sober. He was still rarer than, than he washed himself. And he suffered his nails to grow till in the language of one of them who knew him, they resembled the claws of birds. What gratitude was he now? They did not know. The age of reason was introduced into this country about the close of this century. This was a great activity manifested by the infidels of Europe in disseminating their views in the new country. By the 1800, John Adams, the President of the United States, received a letter from Germany proposed to introduce into the United States a company of schoolmasters, painters, and poets, all epistles of Thomas Paine. This is how you totally destroy a country when you let the infidels educate your children. The last 20 years, we've let the communists and socialists educate our children in America. And that's why the children don't love their fathers. The children don't love their mothers. Introduced in the United States Company of Schoolmasters and Painters and Poets, all disciples of Thomas Paine. Adams replied, I had rather a continence to the introduction of Ariel and Caliban with the troop of spirits of the most mischievous from the fairyland than to have these men come to our country. Political infidel clubs were organized throughout the United States and so great was the threat and danger that President Adams referred to them as public proclamation. A society was formed in this country called the Illuminati, set on foot by the Grand Orient of France. Illuminism had been systematically embraced by various bodies of men who associated for its propaganda. President Adams, in his proclamation, in which he briefly disclosed the dangers that threatened the country, said this, The most precious interests in the United States are still held in jeopardy by the hostile designs and insidious arts of a foreign nation, France. The mind of America was being poisoned by this infidel religion, as well as the dissemination among them of these principles subversive of the foundations of religion, moral and social obligations that have produced mischief and misery in other countries. The violent assaults which, which were made upon this passage of the proclamation proved the truth and accuracy of the sentiment. Enraged in this public discussion on their plans, the whole faction attacked it. To the extent which these infidel clubs went is now almost unbelievable. The tree of liberty, the cap of liberty, were everywhere popular. It is scarcely incredible that what extent these absurdities devised and practiced by the French demagogues to influence the passions of the mob were adopted and applauded by multitudes of the heretofore staid and reflected citizens of the United States. This is how you destroy a country, and it's on the move in America today. 
Posterity will with difficulty believe the prostituted states to which Jeanette, the French ambassador and his satellites and the democracy societies have brought the public feeling. By a rare, rare variety of these artifices which familiarize the heart to cruelty, they have inured the multitude to the contemplation of bloodshed and habitual ferocity. At a dinner in Philadelphia at which Governor Muffin and his friend Dallas were present, a roasted pig was introduced as a representative of the unfortunate Louis XVI. It was a joyful celebration of the anniversary of his murder. The head being severed from the body was carried around to each of the table who, after putting on the liberty cap, pronounced the word tyranny and tyrant and gave the head a chop with his knife. Memoirs of Thomas Jefferson. This is inhuman. But when you teach people they're not humans, they become inhuman. When you teach people they're not inhuman, they become inhuman. Thomas Paine was the greatest plague to America that ever was. And the age of reason. In America, as well as France, the most atrocious villainies were maintained to be patriotic acts. Robbery was held to be moral. BLM. Robbery was laudable to be correct justice. Murder was maintained to be laudable. BLM. Antifa. Learn, people. Learn from people's mistakes. Don't let it happen again. And we got a a group of people up there in Washington, D.C., you know, they're hurrahing these infidel groups, these anti-God groups, anti-God, anti-truth. Truth is error. Error is truth. Good is bad. Bad is good. That's right here happened in America before. Don't do it again. Don't let it happen. People are tired of it. Of these most excruciable of all crimes, treason and rebellion were dignified by the names national judges just because of Jacob Benized France gave the fashion to the morals and opinions of this country and fidelity to her under her new rules was best asserted by treason to every other country. We have people running this country that are traitors for life. They've been traitors to America for life. Learn by history. Don't repeat it. Learn by history. Learn where it's coming from. America drug itself through this before. Let us drag ourselves through it again. The object of these societies will destroy Christianity and to revolutionize governments. The belief in God, the immorality of the soul, the moral obligation, civil and domestic government, marriage, chastity, decency were the objects of their hatred and conspiracy. Again, it's happened again. Again and again. Wherever they prevailed, the most gross and brutish manners and shameless immorality followed. This happened. And it's happening again, people. America, wake up. America, wake up. This is American history I'm teaching you about. It happened before. Fight. Fight. 
Fight with your vote and make sure your vote counts. We have to have legitimate voting in this country, which they don't want to have. The ruling class, the infidels, even though they call themselves religious, they're infidels. How can you believe in abortion? How can you believe in transgenderism and all of these things that are anti-God, anti-Bible, and say you are right? The woke system. Here we all have it all over again, people. History repeats itself if you don't know history. Stop it before it gets going good. The only Bible instruction of those brought by immigrants. If a young couple who were Christian professors had formed a domestic relationship in a log cabin in the West, they had no Bible to read and perchance after months of waiting, some kind friend brought one in the saddlebags and across the mountains from the old states. A manuscript volume of hymns is in our possession, compiled by one of the pioneer preachers of Kentucky for his own use as an itinerant, and it bears marks of being well thumbed through by the preacher. Nor were tracts then circulated. Few religious books of any kind had found their way into the valley, but only the age of reason and Thomas Paine's propaganda. Immorality. Right is wrong and wrong is right. Sadness, sadness, sadness. And we're living it again. This isn't the first time, people. And what strength had the Christian ministry to open with such an enemy? Learned, proud, philosophical, speculative, or subtle. The Baptists had 90 five preachers in every, every grade, not one of whom was a classical scholar. Educate your men. Demand it. Or had the skill or understanding of tactics to opponents of the Scripture. They had never been trained, nor could they put on an armor of the schools of the prophets. They had no pretentious to the arts of the log, logician or debate. There were about a dozen Methodist preachers in the valley equally deficient in education and unskilled as casuists. Of the Presbyterian ministers, there were about 40, all of whom made some claim to classical college education. In reality, the Presbyterians were far worse off in ministers than the Baptists. Davidson said, their historian says, had they all been men of marked ability, devoted piety, unblemished reputation, solitary influence they might have exerted in molding the character and institutions of the growing West would have been incalculable. Unhappily, with two or three shining exceptions, the majority of men were men barely of respectable talents and a few above mediocrity. And so far from being patterns of flaming zeal, and apostolic devotion, all of dull formality seems to have been their general characteristics. Listen, America. This was the history of your country. I've decided to do these classes in this deep manner that you might learn from it. That the gospel of Christ still might be preached and that we might still hold on to that precious country we once had and bring America back.
on her feet again. Our Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the history of your people that we might know history and and not repeat it over again. It's already happening, but let people learn why it's happening and how it happened. It happened in our schools. It happened in our legislature. It happens with deceit. It happened with the money of billionaires bent on the destruction of this country. Father, please forgive me where I fail you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.